0: This is Dr. Charles Parker, and you're listening to Core Brain Journal. It's the place where I connect both fresh discoveries and interesting, different perspectives from advanced mind science with the realities of real people and everyday life down on Main Street. Well, welcome aboard, folks. Dr. Charles Parker here one more time, and we have a guest that is going to hit a an important issue that is absolutely relevant for everybody listening to this conversation. Dr. Marvin Marshall is going to talk about stress, and he's going to talk about it in a constructive way. We're really looking forward to listening to your comments. Marv, thank you so much for joining us. Really appreciate it.
1: It's my pleasure.
0: So what we're going to do, folks, is just have a couple words from our sponsors, then I'm going to formally introduce Marvin, and we're going to go down the road. So first of all, everybody here at CBJ already knows how much we love the reality of data. And today we welcome our clinical friend and new sponsor partner, the Direct Health Access Laboratory. With over 3 million studies, they are deep leaders of experience with a big picture of measuring. And, and those measurements include methylation, cryptopyrrol, and copper. And those challenges absolutely alter brain function. And we see once we measure it, we can do something about it. So they provide a global service with a molecular focus. Stay tuned, more about them in mid episode. And then another group that we really appreciate uh, the support with is uh, Barry Robinson Center here in Norfolk. Uh, You know, as you listening to CBJ, how much we appreciate detailed improvements, the actual activity of helping people out. And, Today, we're going to note that James Barry Robinson, Barry Robinson Center here in Norfolk, has a deep interest in fresh options to address the complexity of adolescent treatment failure nationally and internationally and is built TRICARE Friendly. We really like those folks, and we've had an opportunity here in Norfolk to share children, teens, and families on the path to healing right here in Norfolk with them. So from personal experience, I can say, they're doing a fantastic job. So we'll talk more about them in just a moment. So now let me go ahead and introduce Marv, Dr. Marv Marshall. So he has written a book, and he's going to have that book here as a, as a uh, drawing giveaway, Live Without Stress, How to Enjoy the Journey. And so we're going to be talking about him. He, he is no slouch. Dr. Marshall is an international speaker, only 25 countries. On Five continents, he's an educator and author of numerous articles published in international journals. He is one of America's leading experts on reducing stress, and that is absolutely so prevalent in working relationships, schools, and homes. His many books include the multi-award winning, this is an important one, folks, Parenting Without Stress, How to Raise Responsible Kids While Keeping a Life of Your Own. What a great title. And the landmark education book, Discipline Without Stress, Punishment or Rewards, How Teachers and Parents Promote Responsibility and Learning, deep, important, and his recently published book, Live Without Stress, How to Enjoy the Journey, which is what we're talking about. It's going to be a giveaway drawing uh, on uh, the website once we get it up and published. So with that, let's talk a little bit about, Marv, how you happened to get into This whole topic. I mean, uh, we do want to hear about your travels and what you've learned out there in the woods of life, but how did you personally make the transformation to really get into stress and start thinking about it?
1: I started when I returned to the classroom. A little bit of background. I have a master's in business administration, was in business, but my first year of married life, I was a teacher. And I reflected back on how much I enjoyed that, and I figured. I can only wear one suit of clothes at a time and drive one car at a time. And I figured if I at a relatively young age, knew what I truly enjoyed learning or what I enjoyed doing in life, I'd be a fool not to take advantage of. So I came back into education and taught primary, uh, elementary, every grade seven through 12, went up through the ranks, was an assistant principal of supervision and control, curriculum instruction, I was a middle school, high school counselor. I never became a elementary school principal, a middle school principal, a high school principal, district director of education. And then I asked myself, what do I want to do with the rest of my years in the profession? And since I enjoyed teaching so much, the next year I went to my principal, or rather my superintendent, and I said, Jerry, I want to return to the classroom. Now I was out of the classroom for 24 years. Mm. Had society changed? Had kids changed? There were parents who were afraid of their own kids. There was tremendous amount of irresponsibility uh, in terms of graffiti around the community and uh, disrespect from kids to teachers. And I said, there's got to be a better way of promoting responsibility. And almost all other approaches were aimed at obedience. And the problem is when you aim at obedience, like telling kids what to do, there's a thing called counter will. No one likes being told what to do. We like to tell people what to do, but we don't like being told what to do. And so mm-hmm. I ask myself, what can I use in a non-coercive approach that will help have people do what I want them to do? And I reflect on a, uh, an ex- uh, An experience I had in Philadelphia, Pennsylvania, where uh, Benjamin Franklin had his printing press. And in that uh, area, there's a scenario of Ben Franklin reaching over to King George III right after the passage of the Stamp Act. And he said, quote, you cannot coerce people into changing their minds. Mm. I reflect on something that Dwight David Eisenhower said, and he said, the way... If you take a string and if you push it, you're not going to get very far. But if you pull it, it will follow you wherever you go. And the same goes for people. The art of influence is to influence the person to do what you want them to do because they want to do it. And in essence, what I am alluding to is coercion does not work with the current generation. So I asked, how can I set up a system where young people, and then it turned out to be parents and uh, really everyone, can do what you want them to do because, again, to quote President Eisenhower, because they want to do it. So I looked at my teaching experiences, my counseling experiences, and my administrative experience, and I set up this program, which, as you mentioned, Chuck, is now used around the world. As far as I can tell, that it is the only program that is totally non-coercive. It's not permissive. What I teach people is how they can always be in charge, always be in control without using coercion.
0: Mm. That's going to be an interesting conversation. I'm really looking forward to that. I mean, you've given me a couple of questions here to tease it out, but I mean, that one right there is the big question because so many people are like, Oh my gosh! I'm going to get because that's 180 out from what's going on. I mean, it's, yes, it's it, it doesn't matter whether it's the government, the schools, the marriage, the corporation. This is the way we have thought. We thought we've been in linear management for for millennia since we were chasing mastodons. I'll I'll be quiet. This is, I'm looking forward here. <laughs> well, I'll tell you how
1: I do it. <clears throat> I use three practices. The first practice is positivity. The fact remains that people do not do good things when they feel bad. (laughs) They do good when they feel good. Mm -hmm. So the first thing to remember is always talk to people what you want them to do rather than what you do not want them to do. And the reason for that is the brain thinks in pictures. You can think back on your last dream, not that you remember the dream, But dollars to donuts, you did not dream in words or syllables or paragraphs. You dreamt in images and visions and illusions. Mm -hmm. That's how the brain operates. So therefore, if you want someone to do something, you talk to them in terms of what you want them to do, because that's how the brain operates. And Henry Ford made, uh, among his many quotes, one that I really love because it's so accurate. If you think you can, you can. If you think you can't, you can't. Mm. Either way, you are right. (laughs) So the point is how we think has a tremendous effect upon not only our brains, but our physical reactions. If you think, for example, that you're not gonna be able to do something, you implanted a negative disempowering idea in your brain. So you always want to talk to yourself and talk to other people what you want them to do. So for example, if you say to a kid, don't run, kid doesn't remember don't what comes after the don't is what the kid envisioned without even realizing it. You have encouraged the kid to run, which is exactly the opposite of what you wanted. So number one, talk in positive terms. I got to
0: stop you right there, Mark. That is such an interesting thing. You know, I worked in addiction medicine for many years. I mean, I ran, I was executive medical director of a unit here in Tidewater, uh, lectured nationally on addiction medicine. And so many people in those years, this is the early 90s, were, would run around and go to meetings and say, don't drink. I mean, it was just like all, <laughs> it was like, don't drink. And then they'd say things like, don't drink that tall, frosty Budweiser. <laughs> you know, so I'm just thinking about that while you're talking about it because I was against that whole don't drink years ago because it sounded, it sounded exactly – you said it so much more articulately than I did, but sorry to interrupt you. I just thought oh, – Well, that's totally okay.
1: You were, you were ahead of your time. <laughs>
0: yeah, a little bit, not much. Okay,
1: so, so, the, so the idea, again, is, is to practice and think to yourself is what I'm going to tell not only to other people – but to myself, is this going to be positive or is it negative? So, for example, my very first book, the opening paragraph was this Life is a conversation. Interestingly, the most influential person we talk with all day is ourself. And what we tell ourselves has a direct bearing on our influence, our behavior, uh, and Again, our influence on others. In fact, a good case can be made that our self-talk creates our reality. Point. Again, Mm -hmm. talk to yourself. Be kind to yourself. Talk to yourself in a positive way. Because if you talk to yourself in a negative way, chances are that's how you communicate with others also. It starts with yourself. You first have got to believe in yourself, and you do that by being kind, by talking positively. The second approach is really system or a procedure is choice. We make choices throughout our lives. As a matter of fact, choice ends when life ends. When you get out of bed, you made a choice. You are, if the people are listening now, they are making a choice to listen. You never have to be a victim because you always have the ability to choose your response. From Victor Frankl's um, uh, man's and uh, his book, uh, Man's the Meaning, uh, where he survived three Nazi death camps. His point was, regardless of what the Nazis did to him, they could not take away his ultimate freedom, that is to choose his attitude in any given situation.
0: Mm -hmm, So mm
1: -hmm. one of the things I talk about in my books is regardless of a situation which you cannot change, regardless of the stimulation that prompts you, or regardless of an urge, you always, without exception, have the ability to choose your response. And as long as you have that choice, you will never become a victim. Now, let Mm. me find two things. We have a lot of parents, for example, who have got difficulty with their teenagers. By way of example, they give the kid a chore and the kid doesn't do it. Well, the usual approach is to impose some kind of punishment or some coercive approach. A much more effective approach to give the kid five choices and have him choose three now the reason why this is so much more effective than taking something away is because very simply choice brings ownership people do not argue with their own decisions So the idea is to always give a choice, I'll always give options, and I'll even say, well, if you don't think this is right, what, even as a classroom teacher, what can, what would you like to do so you can meet the same objective of this lesson? Again, choice ends with life, end, when life ends. The idea is to always, it's not possible, but to be mindful of the fact that you are making a choice. When you are mindful of making the choice, you realize that you are in control. And if you believe you are in control, you will never feel as if you are a victim.
0: That's an excellent point. I mean, it's such an excellent point. I'm sorry to interrupt you. I'm just going to let you keep talking because it's so cool.
1: Thank you. Well, the third practice is reflection. People who reflect on who they are Living when they are, in this marvelous country, the best in societies has ever known in the history of the world, people who reflect are grateful, and gratefulness is the key to happiness. People who are not grateful are not happy. But there's a more even emphatic or significant approach to reflection, and that is simply that you can control other people. For example, parents can control their kids, but they cannot change their kids. The fact of the matter is that the only person you can change is yourself. Again, you can control someone, but you cannot change them. So that's the case, and it is. I mean, you you can prove this to yourself. Ask yourself if you have ever changed another person. I've been very fortunate in my life. I've been married to my girlfriend for it'll be this December, sixty years, six zero.
0: You sound too young for that, buddy.
1: <laughs> Thank you. And if you ask me if I've ever changed Evelyn, the answer is no. Have I influenced her? Yes. Has my wife ever changed me? She'll say no. Has she influenced me? Absolutely. So the trick behind reflection is to influence the person to do what you would like them to do, which I was alluding to Earlier. So, for example, if I do something that ticks off my wife, the very first thing I will do is ask myself, Marm, what can you do? I have learned in almost anything that occurs to me to make lemonade out of lemon. If I tick my wife off, I'll ask myself, okay, as I started to say, what can I do so this doesn't happen again? And by, by the way, you may be very familiar with the film Love Story, where the famous quote is, being in love means you never have to say you're sorry. Mm-hmm. That's the most ridiculous thing any script ever had in any movie.
0: <laughs> it's everybody's wish. <laughs> <laughs> That's right, but it doesn't happen. Except you know, me I'll for always... being an idiot, yes. <laughs>
1: <laughs> That's right. So, of course, the very first thing I'll do with in my mind, to be kind not to myself, not only to myself, but to to my wife, I'll apologize. But in the meantime, I would have created something where I will let her know that I was wrong. A very simple example. The other evening, we were watching television, and uh, or my, we were going to watch television, and my wife was making our bedspread. Our bedspread is sort of a complex feat, and I was late, and I wanted to get in bed, and so. Uh, she was trying to watch a television program that she wanted to watch as she was on making the bed. And I was impatient. The next morning, I said, Ev, I'm really, I'm, I'm sorry, you have a right because making, the, making up the bed or taking it down the bed rather, is so complex, I don't know how to do it. Every time I do it, it takes you twenty minutes to make the best bread again, so I apologize, and it says you have a certain right to you know watch television while you're doing this task that i don 't even know how to do properly. so the point that i'm trying to emphasize is you cannot change another person now here 's what you can do since we've been talking about relationships, a thing called solving circles. if you can imagine two or a Venn diagram, the two interlocking circles. And the usual approach is, let's say, uh, 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 Marv and Ev, I'll use our own personal names, mm-hmm. <laughs> are having a disagreement. The usual approach is Marv will say to Ev, this is what you've got to do, and Ev says to Marv, this is what you've got to do. But in solving circles, the problem is in that interwining circle. And so if I say, okay, this is what I am willing to do it automatically brings the other person who says, well, okay, if you're willing to do this, this is what I'm willing to do. I have done this with four-year-olds. Any adult can use it in any situation. Even kids can use it. It is a simple way to solve problems in a non-coercive way based upon the idea that you cannot change another person. What will you do to improve the situation?
0: Yeah, and you really basically, in that situation, uh, support their work. I mean, yep. there's no, Ben, this is where you were talking about just a moment ago, which is the reflection of, of uh, gratitude. And that's what you yes. did in that situation. You just say, look, I'm grateful. Right. And, so to follow
1: that up in terms of reflection, how do you use it to resolve problems or to get people to do what you would like them to do, and that is the skill of asking reflective questions. Now there's really nothing new about this. For example, you walk into a store and the salesperson says, how are you today? There's a natural compunction to, to answer. Or if you're involved in a conversation with one other person and all of a sudden you're talking and all of a sudden the other person asks you a question, You generally stop and answer the question. You don't go on in a monologue. And the point here is is the person who asks the question controls the conversation. Mm. So to do this, there are, and my book has a number of different types of questions. So for example, a, a parent or a teacher is talking to a youngster and says, if you could not fail, would you be willing to try something different? Here's probably my favorite with, with teenagers and really with anyone. The person is really angry. And so what you do is you ask a question because what happens is, I'm going to go on a tangent just here for a moment. <clears throat> First comes the Cognitive: what you hear, what you see, etc. It comes in, and then it's almost, not quite, but almost immediately followed by a reaction, a feeling. That if somebody compliments you, you've just heard words, but you feel good. Somebody criticizes you, you've just heard words, but you feel bad. You're watching a movie, and the music comes on. It out of even any words or view, it sets you in the mood. Okay. So first comes the cognition, then comes the feeling so you ask the question are you angry at me or the situation the person has to stop and does stop and reflect now because they've stopped and reflect to re answer that question the cognition has changed now the person is thinking and it's a simple fact of life that first comes the cognition followed by the feeling so you you ask the question and the person will say, well, I guess I'm just frustrated. I'm taking it out on you, which is a critical point. I'll stop here for a moment. Never take what a person who you love says. Never take it personally. They're angry at a situation and you just have to ask the question, are you angry at me or the situation? And boom, the negative feeling of the person automatically stops.
0: It's amazing. Well, it's, it's very interesting. Now let's, Let's catch that and tease it apart just a little bit because what you're doing in a way from Robert Rules of Order is saying uh, point of clarification. Yes. You know, <laughs> it, all, you know, you're know, you just sort of making it an administrative opportunity. I'm being simplistic about it because yours was much more interesting the way you were saying it, but from an well, operational point of view, you're just saying, you know, I just need to figure this out a little bit. If you could help me out, i appreciate it. And then, now, I didn't, what I didn't, and the reason I'm asking you this question right now is I didn't quite get the feeling after that. Is that you would then say your feeling or you would then expect them to say how they feel about that question? It's the
1: same idea, or not the same, but it's, it, it, it's a principle in negotiation. The first person who talks loses. So the person says whatever, and he's, you can see the person is angry. You simply ask the question, are you angry at me or the situation? And you pause. You don't say anything. You wait until the person answers the question because, and here's the key to remember, the person who asks the question controls the conversation. Mm-hmm. So if somebody asks you something and you want to stay in control, you learn, and this is a skill that anybody can learn. You learn the skill of asking a reflective question and you put it back on the person. That's how you stay in control in a non-coercive manner.
0: And so the feeling then is really, you're saying, could you just clarify what this is? You're actually, it's a directive in a way on the uh, cognitive inquiry on the point of clarification. Just what is the feeling that you're having you I mean, this, is you know, me or the situation is still a clarification, but you you want them to identify how they feel, which then they have to come in contact with their feeling. And that's the connection with the feeling with the cognition. Is that correct? Uh,
1: only partially. Okay. From my viewpoint, <clears throat> I'm only interested in promoting responsible behavior. I'm interested in the person's behavior not the person's feelings.
0: Gotcha, gotcha.
1: Now, I have a, a video on, on this. Um, on, if you went to withoutstress.com and clicked on one of the uh, videos, you would see a video that is about assumptions. And this is the ver- very first chapter in my Live Without Stress book. Assumptions, I believe, are the biggest folly or error than most people make. Now, on a tangent for just a moment, my wife is a novelist. She's written six books. And for any fiction writer, the motivation is essential. But for me, I don't care what a person feels. I'm interested in the behavior because from the behavior comes the emotion. If you are doing something negative, you're going to feel negative. If you do something positive, you will feel positive. I am concerned in human relations, not with the person's feelings. I'm interested in the person's behavior. Now, in parenting, for example, if I can continue on this road, it's a whole different ballgame. For example, see if you can imagine this. This is going to be a, a... A vertical line and a horizontal line. On the top of the vertical line is a a cognition, thinking. On the top is thinking. At the very Mm -hmm. bottom of thinking is feeling. So they're opposites. On the left side is doing, and on the right side is feeling.
0: Mm
1: -hmm. Uh, Here's my point. My wife, as I mentioned, is a novelist, and so she's in the upper left-hand neighborhood of doing and, uh, and thinking. I'm in the upper right-hand corner because I'm always busy, so I'm cognitive, uh, and I'm always uh, I'm, 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 uh, Let me rephrase that. I'm in the upper uh, right-hand corner because I'm always doing something. Okay. Now, my here's my point, the key point. My daughter, our daughter, <clears throat> is in the bottom right neighborhood. She's a feeler, and she's a uh, believes, that, and she's a a relater. She she feels she's an only daughter, but she feels that she does better with other people. Totally opposite from her mother and and myself. Here's my key point. My daughter will never become like me. I have learned to. nurture her nature it's like a friend of mine uh uh, jim Cathcart, has a book called the acorn principle and what he basically says is you can take an acorn and you can plant it you can fertilize you can water it and if all goes well it'll grow up to be a uh a a giant oak tree
0: yep
1: that acorn will never become a redwood it will never become any other type of a tree so his point Mm -hmm. is nurture your, your child's nature so when i started to nurture our our daughter's nature, instead of trying to make her like I am, our relationships significantly increase and, and our relationships are, are ideal. But again, it's a, it's, a, it's, a, it's a way to nurture other people in a non-coercive way. Instead of aiming at obedience, I aim at empowerment. I empower our daughter. I've given her wings.
0: See that diagram i didn't I still didn't quite get it the way you were talking about it, and it's not your fault. I think it's the business of doing an audio, but I think the issue is if you get a get an idea on the diagram because it sounds like it'd be very very useful to just apply it and see where people are on the spectrum of of what their preoccupations are so they could self identify what their how, how, what the next step would be how to actually use that constructively in the evolution of their own life.
1: That that and in relating with other people because we're all different. Some people are more visual, as you know. Some people are more audio. Uh, when we were first learning how to talk, we were all audio. That's how that's how you learn uh, to speak, through listening, obviously. But mm-hmm. as you're older, many adults become more and more visual. Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah, it's funny because... Uh, for years, I was writing poetry, and I and I mean, when you get into when you get into that combination, you have a certain audio visual combination. I'll get I'm I'm getting off the subject, but right. back back to what you were saying. I think the relationship point that you're raising is absolutely essential, and it's so proactive. I mean, if a person has a concept of where they're going in the conversation, they and uh, I'm just looking forward to reading your book because the issue would be, and I'm going to take that video, I'm going to find it and put it on the show notes. So people who are listening can just pop over to the show notes and, and get that, get that assumption video because that would be, that would, it sounds like it's so useful because so many of us over on the science end of, you know, self-management relationships and so on and so forth are living in a sea of assumptions that have that are problematic.
1: Exactly. Right.
0: And because assumptions then color your perceptions. Absolutely.
1: Absolutely. It's uh, one of my favorite quotes is by a a fellow, Myron Travis, who uh, worked at, was a professor at MIT. And I don't know if you know the word or the name of W. Edwards Deming or not, but he's the one. Oh yeah.
0: Oh no, I'm definitely, yeah. Right. You know,
1: the man who brought quality to the workplace at any rate.
0: He says,
1: there is no such thing as immaculate perception. What we see is what we thought before we looked. And it's your point exactly. We have these preconceptions, and that's why three people can see see the exact same accident and come up with three different viewpoints. The trick here is to be aware of what your filters are, to be mindful of it.
0: Yeah, so true. That's so true. I mean, you, that, that's, that's like you got to be a neon on everybody's head in the morning. You know? <laughs> so how, do, how do we find our way down the path? We light up that sign and just keep right on going. Because that, that, that's the thing we see so often in our work in psychiatry with any kind of human development. And you're in human development. I mean, basically, that is what you're doing. When, you, when you're lecturing nationally and you're talking to corporations, I mean, wouldn't it be great if every corporation – and their, their management staff, were, were if they were all working from the same construct, I mean, this would be a reason to be in the organization, because you'd be understood, you know, and you would be able to find a place to be creative, as opposed to some organizations I've been in that are just locked down. This is the way we're going to do it, and we're not going to have you develop as an individual. We're not going to encourage you to develop as an individual, because we're in the process of reprogramming you, and we're... We're paying you to reprogram you. Top-down
1: management, which has worked for generations, it's like uh, parenthood. It worked for
0: generations.
1: Your parent tells the kid what to do, and the kid does it. We are in a whole different ball game. Kids are so independent with their smartphones and so. But this really started a few years ago when I was talking to uh, a manager of Home Depot, and he said, "I can't believe young people today. I tell them to do something, and I get." Why? (laughs) (laughs) And so my point, of course, is traditional approaches of using coercion are simply not effective with the current generation. And the trick is to learn and implement three universal practices. Again, be positive in your own thinking and what you talk and how you talk to other people as well as yourself. They have a choice anyway. Give them a choice because choice brings ownership. And be mindful of the fact that the way to influence someone else is by the questions that you ask.
0: Mm. If
1: you couldn't fail, what would you do?
0: <laughs> yeah, that's a great question. Isn't it?
1: The book is full of them.
0: <laughs> uh, that's fantastic. I mean, I like quotes a lot. I'm really looking forward to. Uh, I mean, I'm writing these quotes. I can't keep up with you because you're just so loaded with good quotes. Thank but. You. Take a moment, if you will. This is great. Uh, you know, there's so many interesting questions that that do arise in this. So let's take it down in just a moment. Let me take a break here and let's take it down. I'll tell you the question I'm going to ask you when we come back, because you are a serious loaded weapon. You've got great material here. And, and it's so applicable to everyday life with everybody that's listening here. It's It's really quite exciting. I I just love doing this, having a conversation with a guy like you, because you think about how many people, from Possum Hollow to New York City, that could take these words and just apply them, just walk out on the street and use them right now. It's just, uh, it's amazing. But the question I'm going to ask you is: some of what you've done has to do with stress, and we kind of uh, tease this entire conversation with stress. Uh, There are two issues. One is how does one first of all, recognize a stressful situation because some of us are not aware of it. But then the issue, what is the one phrase that you 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 hinted about this? What is the one phrase that a person can use with themselves to unstress? And then the next thing is, after you take that down to the next level, where would you actually apply that in your daily life? How, how would you do that? So that's a series of questions. But I think that, what we'll do for a minute after the after uh, not for a minute but we'll do after a minute break is what I'm trying to say is talk about that stress if you don't mind. Not so, all right, so we'll take a break then, Marvin. We'll be right back. Well, you folks already know that here at Core Brain Journal, we're on a mission to introduce you to resources that make significant contributions to the investigation of those predictable mind science applications. Our colleagues at DHA Lab Group provide a real difference with treatment options for people at every level, from first awareness of mind problems to those frustrating times when even well-informed treatment becomes surprisingly unpredictable. For my entire professional life, from psychoanalysis to brain scans, I've searched for, yes, improved predictability. The good news for all of us, from professionals to patients, remarkably effective research offers useful cost-effective, organic options far beyond guesswork with psychiatric medications alone. DHA lab tests measure unbalanced biomedical details through easily available testing, now available globally for a variety of molecular answers from, for example, methylation, copper, and cryptopyrrole challenges. Check in for more details at dhalab.com core. That's D H A lab.com forward slash core. Well, folks, you know, as well as I do that psychiatric treatment failure, especially after multiple medication trials and those very, very brief hospitalizations may prove insufficient to deal at home with the complexity of troubled children and and those adolescents from six to 17 years old. Improved care, those next mandatory steps should include a more comprehensive approach to address those multiple levels of challenges, from family to peers to school, diagnostically from defiance to depression, on every level for families, including military families, internationally. The Barry Robinson Center's 32-acre open college-like campus in Norfolk, Virginia, provides safety and security and clean, comfortable living How do we know we refer folks over there all the time, strongly endorse what they're doing? So for further information and informed interview, connect at this page, barryrobinson.org forward slash core. Well, welcome back, folks. And you know, Marv, I have to apologize to you because in a way I was changing the subject, but I think that stress is where we started and I want to be responsible with our audience because we kind of talked about stress a little bit. But I have to tell you right now, what you're talking about is so darn interesting I mean, we have a very wide number of our audience folks are interested in dealing with kids who have developmental and executive function problems. We have a number of people here who are interested in developing their teams, corporate, corporate executives. How do we actually take our team to another level? How can we really be creative with these millennials that we've just hired? I mean, this is, you know, the material that we we're just talking about a moment ago is so germane. But. I did want to take a moment to tease apart the stress point because when you talk and think about your, uh, one's life, the way you're talking about it, it is eliminating stress immediately just by thinking about it from that point of view. But let's take it down to kind of an even more fundamental level and, and ask that question. Uh, you know, what can, first of all, how can you recognize stress and what can you do to uh, immediately reduce it?
1: May I just take a moment and refer to something that you mentioned about children and and schools? Yeah, sure. Okay. You walk into almost any classroom in the United States, and the very first thing you will see are rules. And oftentimes, these rules are in negative forms. Don't do this, don't do that, don't do that. No such, no such. Uh, If teachers take a look at rules, they would realize that they are either expectations or they are procedures. So in terms of a mindset, if a youngster breaks a rule, the mindset is automatically you've got to do something about that because otherwise other kids will break the rule. Mm -hmm. And when you have that mindset without even realizing it, the teacher and or parent and or manager is immediately transferred from the role of an empowerment person to one of a police officer wearing a blue uniform and copper buttons, the (laughs) person is automatically moved into an adversarial position. Yes. Bad news. So... If you look at your rules, you'll find that in the vast majority of cases, they are either procedures or expectations. Now, My expectations are on a hierarchy of social development referred to as A, B, C, and D. But if a kid breaks a procedure, doesn't follow a procedure, the natural tendency is to reteach it. Whereas if you're breaking a rule, the natural tendency is for the person in authority to move into a adversary relation of having the person do something you're
0: mm-hmm. basically yeah. using coercion. So yeah. here's
1: my here's my point. Kids, especially the kind that you mentioned, <clears throat> uh absolutely need procedures they need structures more than anything else and so if you think in terms and teach in terms of procedures instead of rules the adversary relationships do not come about and you are then collaborating and cooperating and helping and empowering the person rather than enforcing rules
0: fantastic point fantastic point
1: Thank you. Now, that I'm, is
0: that is a really, really cool point. I mean I mean, thank you so much for sharing that. But when you think about it, the application is just so completely universal. I'm sorry I interrupt.
1: No, it's okay. So in terms of your uh, the two questions, how can you recognize a stressful situation? <clears throat> if you think in terms of your body is becoming stiff, you're breathing faster, you are in and feel anxiety. If you stop and are mindful, which you can be, you will realize that you are under stress. Now, there's another thing that I think people need to understand, that there is a natural tendency to go to the negative instead of the positive. So, for example, I'll ask in the seminar the following. Your supervisor says, uh, before you leave today, I need to talk with you, and I can't do it now, so please stop by before you leave today. I will ask how many of you feel that the message is going to be negative? 95% of the hands go up. You automatically assume, again, assume Mm -hmm. it's negative. So if you redirect your thinking to something else, then you're not going going to have that anxiety because, again, when you're thinking of something else, the feeling is automatically going to change. Or you can think of, of, make it a, a positive thing, which normally we don't do, we think of the negative. So the point I'm trying to make here is that if you have anxiety, chances are it's going to be negative and you're going to feel uh, stressed, so be aware of that. How do you get rid of it to answer your second question? Whenever I sign a book, I sign it, manage your mind. Uh, you're not going to be aware of your mind, of what you're doing all the time, but if you feel stressed, you can manage it. I'll give you a simple example in a seminar again. Uh, I'll ask the people to just sit up, put their breastplate out, their sternum out, and you'll notice what happens is you get more oxygen in your lungs and more oxygen to your brain, and you get smarter. In five minutes, you'll be slouching again. <laughs> so it's not possible to be mindful of everything, but the more mindful you are of your decisions and how you feel, and if you have a, a procedure of thinking of being kind to yourself and saying, this is not helping me out, what can I think of in a positive way that stress will immediately dissipate? Doesn't happen overnight. You got to persevere. But basically, what you're making is new neural connections and a new habit.
0: You know, Marv, I think that's so interesting. You uh, know, one of our guests was talking about this in some detail regarding their point regarding mantras. You know, now uh, in fact, the uh, a deep. Eastern meditator person was talking about mantras and the value of mantras, Mm -hmm. but it's relevant to what you're talking about because what you're saying is that somewhere you just reprogram yourself in terms of who you are, redefining who you are to yourself for that moment, then puts you in a different reality because you, you then are not lost in that unhappy moment, stressful situation with negatives. Because then you have a more constructive attitude with something you can actually do, as you've been saying a couple of times regarding the next procedure. So you would be a person who's four mantras, I would assume.
1: Oh, absolutely. All right. <clears throat> my mantra is manage my mind. <laughs> oh, yeah. hey, you just gave it away as a secret. <laughs> uh, I'll tell you what else I'll do. Uh, whenever uh, someone. Uh, gets my, my book, I suggest that they read the epilogue first. The epilogue is only about three or four pages long. But the epilogue gives the foundational concept behind the entire book. Now, the book has got 27 chapters. The entire book is about how to. But if any of your listeners want a free complimentary copy of just the epilogue to see if they wanted to read the entire book, have them just mail marv, M-A-R-V, at Marvin Marshall two Ls, so marvinmarshall.com. Marvin That's my email address, marvinmarshall.com, Marvin and have them put in the subject line epilogue. And I will send them a complimentary copy of the epilogue, and then they can see if they are interested in reading the book.
0: Which That is so cool. I'm going to put that in the show notes. That is really great. You know, a lot of folks, I mean, the question is, do you, you want it in the show notes because it might uh, swamp your email with, uh, with spam? But, I mean, that is a, a tremendous gift. That's a big, big deal. And I think it would be very, very interesting. And, you know, let's be careful about which book we're talking about while we're talking about books. I mean, that is your most recent one, Live Without Stress, right? Right, correct. Okay, so, and, and I think, go ahead, please. Thank you. If, if, they
1: want, if, if they were a parent and having any kinds of difficulty at all with their kids from 4 to, to 40, then the, the website is the same, withoutstress.com. <clears throat> they go to the shop, and they can find out all about the parenting book, which comes in hardcover, an e-book, and an audio book. If their person is a teacher and is having difficulty on discipline or behavior in classrooms, then, again, withoutstress.com shop, and they can download uh, the Discipline Without Stress book.
0: I'm telling you, it's really a very, very valuable and interesting conversation because, you know, it's it's, it's like you have a grid there that just reframes the whole doggone experience of life in an extremely utilitarian way. I mean, it's just like think this way, and you're much less likely to be engaged in some problematic, regressive discourse because you're just not, you're not going to be loaded with affect. You're actually popping up to a more cognitive solution oriented approach. It's and And you, you, when we first started speaking, you were talking about negotiation. I mean, it really sets it up. I mean, I think of the number of conversations I've had with conflictual, conflictual conversations in situations where, you know, somebody, I didn't agree with them at work or wherever. Mm-hmm. Um, didn't have many of them uh, in my organization, but I've had them in other organizations when I when I wasn't in charge, you know. And mm-hmm. uh, so what happens is the thing is having a grid in a way to do it and actually bring people together is so, so helpful. It's so fantastic. So when you do a presentation, Marvin, for what do you do? Do you actually do like uh, keynotes or do you then do a whole day of seminars? What's your – Actual professional activity in that regard? Well,
1: first, let me mention that uh, I, I've been service oriented all of my life. It's like in the uh, Rody International's theme is service above self. Uh, I feel I get pleasure out of giving. Uh, I think the more one grows and the more mature one becomes, the more pleasure one gets out of giving. I want teachers to enjoy the classroom experience, and a lot of them don't. I want parents to truly enjoy parenting, and a lot of them don't. Uh, and so, I've taken my uh, approach and put it into this book, "Live Without Stress." I um, I just love helping people, and with that in mind, I lost the question that I was going to answer.
0: No, you were talking. What happened with the Roadie International? You started actually thinking about what well, I know I was tracking with you because you were thinking about. Uh, the, the question was about your corporate life and, and treating corporates and right. people and and whether you did it as a, a keynote, which I'm sure you do keynotes. Right. And then the yeah. issue, because you could say a lot in a very, in one hour, you could say a heck of a lot, right. Right. but then you probably do workshops as well. But what yeah. happened is, is, I think what happened is, is you for a moment just went right into the reality of that <laughs> moment, which I did too. I was with you, you know, and you started thinking, gee, this is so much fun. You just were in, in that moment with the people that you were working with. So what do you, what do you actually do? Well, my preference is to put on a full-day
1: seminar. Uh, mm-hmm. But I, I can explain my program in uh, one hour. And you can still take a lot of it away with you and implement it. The key, of course, is not only the information. If I just give information, uh, and the first, the participants don't do it don't do anything. It's like watching a television program. It's strictly uh, entertainment. My mm-hmm. approach and everything I do is about how to 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 have people not only want but actually implement some of the ideas that I'm talking about. Mm-hmm. So I've uh, I put on a, a keynote for, uh, from 45 minutes uh, to a three hour presentation when they. Um, a Superintendent of Schools in Malaysia uh, invited me to present for to three days in Kuala Lumpur uh, mm-hmm. so i'm flexible. it all depends upon what the audience is i I try to find out what the needs of the audience are and then plan my presentation around it.
0: So Marvin, do you do simultaneous translation when you're in Kuala Lumpur? I have, yes I have correct. So do they wear headphones or how does all that work?
1: Yes both I've done with uh, people wearing headphones and with a live interpreter.
0: That sounds like a lot of fun. That sounds very, very interesting because, you know, the, it, it really, and I can imagine people significantly changing their lives by, you know, even I, this is, this has a, I'm going to sound a little bit uh, hokey with this, but I mean, it's transformational just talking to a guy like you because a lot of it fits with the way people actually are and the way they want to be in the first place. Mm -hmm. And so that's like, this isn't complicated. This is what I want to do. I mean, it's not, it it isn't a leap. It's just a reframe and it's a, it's a constructive reframe which actually diminishes stress just listening to you because you start thinking, Hey, this is an alternative way to handle this next potentially conflictual situation.
1: Well, Let me give you one example in the book. I talk about single-tasking, switch-tasking, and multitasking, and most people have never heard of that. Multitasking is often not multitasking; it's switch-tasking. Mm. Once you're aware that you can watch television and eat at the same time, that's fine. But if you're mm-hmm. trying, if you're watching television and, and and trying to write, you are Switch tasking, your brain is going from one activity to another activity, and that is very ineffective.
0: Right, right. Mm-hmm. And what? So what, and the single activity is just you're just doing whatever Focusing you're doing. Focusing on
1: one
0: thing. That's right. Okay. So now what happens with the multitasking? I mean, because a lot of people, is like this is not even remotely possible because you're multitasking. You have multiple switch tasks going on. Is that correct?
1: Well, yes, you, you can multitask. As in the example, you can eat and watch a television program at the oh, same Oh, I
0: got you. I see what you're however,
1: saying. However, the trick is you're not enjoying your food as much mm-hmm. when you're doing that. You can do it, but it decreases the, the effectiveness of how you enjoy your food.
0: Yeah, switch tasking is just switching the whole mission exactly. of what you're active. I got you. Okay. That's a very interesting clar- point of clarification. It truly is. Well, you know, Marvin, I'm going to have to sign off. I mean, I it's so much fun talking to you. Uh, it's like, I'm, I'm sitting in my, as we're winding up, I'm thinking, what, where can we go with another conversation? I mean, and I, and offline, I would appreciate it. if you say Parker, you know, this was interesting. This this is something else I think your audience would like. I would love to have you back on no question about it because I think, I think to tell you, you're just speaking spontaneously. I'm not putting you on the spot because it's, your time, and I'm asking something of you. But I think that uh, one of the things we that you were we went down this path a little bit. We could spend an entire interview on just parenting alone. Yes, we could. <laughs> we have we have so many folks out there. Uh, you know, my avatar. If you want to think about it, I think women are going to change the world. I'm going to tell you very straightforward. I, we have a number of guys that listen to this, but so many of us depend on the thoughtful, um, coalescent thinking that occurs with with women and the way they think. I mean, it isn't true of all women, obviously. and It isn't true of all men. But I think I, one of the things I frequently talk about is because I think the mothers and the wives are so busy keeping that family together, keeping the deals together, getting the meals together, and so on and so forth, that I think it would be a, a very a useful um, opportunity for people to – listen a little more thoroughly and I'm sure we teased them up a little bit with this because you have so many useful things to say. We just tease it apart a little bit more. I think it would be really helpful and we'd really appreciate it.
1: My pleasure, Chuck.
0: Well, we'll definitely do that. We'll, get, we'll have you back because, uh, you know, it's, 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 uh, you know as, as long as we're alive, it's a never-ending task to figure <laughs> out how to, how, to, how to get it right. <laughs> well, one, so.
1: of the, one,
0: one of the beauties of being alive is learning. So true. So true. That's why I enjoy doing this and talking to a guy like you, because it's so, I mean, if you think about it, there's so many applications that uh, uh, just, and you do it in such a simple, constructive way. And I say simple in a, in a uh, complimentary way, because uh, it isn't simple in the actual application. It does require some additional thinking. Right. But but when you actually look at it, it isn't that complicated to get. And that's a reason to go over it a little more and, and actually learn from you in that process. So with that, I think we're going to wind it up. So where would you, you're going to send us to, first of all, thanks again for the Live Without Stress, the drawing. You're very kind to uh, have that for our, uh, our uh, audience. And then your website, you said it once before, but let's, uh, let's talk about it one more time.
1: Without stress.com <clears throat> if you go to without there are different links for parents for living generally for teachers uh, there's a link to my videos uh, every few weeks i put up a video on stress management okay. uh, that i think you will enjoy
0: we'll definitely look it up i really appreciate it marv thank you so much for taking the time it's been it's been a great learning opportunity for me
1: thank you dr Chuck. my pleasure
0: Thanks for listening to CoBrain Journal. We're working every day behind the scenes to bring you reports that connect research benches with those street trenches. Here we share the complexity of mind science because as you know, details really do matter. One of the most pervasive misunderstood challenges is how commonplace medications like those written for ADHD are used so regularly without clear guidelines. If you think you'd like more specifics, take a minute to download my two-page PDF packed with video links and references on the absolute essentials of how to start ADHD medications. They're easily available at corebrainjournal.com forward slash start. Thanks for listening. Do connect and stay tuned. Together we can make a difference.